And before I start, I wanted to, I know they're watching, just wanted to say hello to Dave and Pat Curry. We miss y'all. Get well. So exalt, exalt the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker, partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, nor for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief, chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but give, gives grace to the humble. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we adore you because you are a God who forgives. Father, you are holy and you are righteous. And you cannot be in the presence of sin. Father, and we are sinful. And we are fallen and we have rebelled against you, falling short of the glory of God, for we have traded your glory for our glory. But Father, even though you're a God who is holy and righteous and blameless, you're also a God who is gracious and compassionate. You're a God who is merciful and you're a God who forgives. But you're a God who is just. And you don't just take sin lightly, you hate sin. So righteously that you punish sin. But Father, you are a gracious God and rather than pouring out sin on all mankind as we deserve, you have provided a substitute for all who would trust in the work of Christ. For you have provided the cross where the, your perfect love and your perfect righteousness and your perfect wrath collided because you so love the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we trust the gospel. We love the gospel. We need the gospel. The gospel that reconciles God to man and reconciles one, uh, man to our neighbor and our brothers and sisters. Father, I, I pray for the, the flock at Ocean Park that you would move in our hearts and provide for us and make us love the gospel and share the gospel and live out the gospel at home, at work, and at play. Father, we thank you that you know our name and you love us and you sent your son to be the substitutes that we may have life and have it abundantly in the holiness of God forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you're not already there, if you turn to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5 on page 1016 of the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Pew Bible and you have different page numbers, you can go to the table of contents in the beginning of your Bible and uh, find it. And First uh, Peter's toward the end, and you can flip to find it there. I want to tell you the story behind our text this morning, a little bit that you have seen and have read to the children, but 
I want you to have two pictures and two scenes that are in your mind that would have echoed through Peter and had a profound impact on Peter as he goes. The first scene we start is in the upper room. And the upper room where Jesus is sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, his disciples unaware, though they have been told, that Jesus would pay the penalty and be the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb for his people. And he um, washes their feet and he shares a final meal, the Last Supper, if you will. And then he looks at Peter and says this, Simon, Simon, that's another name for Peter, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he, he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him, as the, as the author Dan DeWitt in our book says, that he would say three times that he was not a friend of Jesus. And Jesus knew that, and Jesus still loved Peter. And Jesus prayed for Peter, and Peter, Jesus was setting expectations that this is going to happen, but be faithful to me. And then what was Peter's response? Not thank you, Lord. I would never do that. Very pride, very boastful. I would never, I will sacrifice. I will go where you go, Jesus, and I will die for you. I will give everything for you. A few hours later, after the, the Lord's Supper, after they leave the upper room, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested, and they brought him, Jesus to the courtyard of the, of the high priest where they're interrogating Jesus. And from a distance, Peter is standing by a fire, maybe here to Spencer and Mike over there. It was a very close distance. Enough there they could see one another's faces. And uh, Peter is at a distance warming himself, trying to overhear the conversation. And uh, finally, a young servant girl, probably 12, 13, have no power, no influence in society whatsoever, comes up to Peter and says, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of the disciples? And he says, I am not. And then another one by the fire after probably an awkward silence, some small talk and awkward. He says, I know you're one of them. And Peter says, I am not. And finally, a, a third time. He's asked and says, I know the fact. I you're, hear it in your voice. You're from Nazareth. You're one of them. And Peter vehemently curses and says, I don't know him. And in a moment, in a distance, a rooster crowed. And Peter wept. Because the words of Jesus came true. He had failed Jesus. He had said, I am not his friend. And he ran away and wept. Second scene, a few months, or a few weeks later, we don't know the exact time. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. This is after Jesus has appeared to all the disciples, and Peter knows that Jesus is alive, but he's struggling. And there's still this elephant in the room, and there's this weight on Peter's heart. I betrayed Jesus in the most important time when Jesus needed me the most. I was his closest friend, and I failed him. Will Jesus call me his friend? Will Jesus forgive me? And Jesus appears, and, and the disciples immediately realize it's Jesus. And Jesus had made a, a fire, and he was cooking some fish, and and Peter came, and, and he was face-to-face -face with Jesus. 
The last time that they had been this close, Peter had denied him. And, and Jesus says, do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times Jesus asked, and three times Peter said, yes. But it's interesting the response that Jesus gives. He says, in response to the grace and the mercy that you, Jesus gave Peter, he said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You see, the very first time, the verse that came up here, and I forgot this one as well, is that Jesus told him, when you have been restored, I'm going to restore you. When you have been restored, strengthen the brothers. And the way that you strengthen the brothers is how? To feed the flock and to tend the flock. So as Peter begins to write, he's writing the epistle uh, that, he, that bears his name. He's writing to a people. He's writing to now in chapter 5 to the next generation of shepherds. And Peter is an apostle and he's writing to the elders and he doesn't throw around his clout. He doesn't throw around his responsibility. But he comes near to them and says, as a fellow elder, as a fellow overseer, as a fellow person who has been commissioned to feed the sheep and to tend the flock, he says, do it well. And he wants to give them an idea of what it means to feed the flock and tend the sheep. Who is to be doing it? Peter tells them to feed the sheep because if they are, the flock is not fed, they, bodies would not be, the spiritual bodies would not be sustained for the journey that's ahead. He warns them of the dangers that would inevitably threaten them along the path. He sets their expectations. Tell the sheep what's coming. And then he says, tend to the flock. Heal their wounds. Uh, comfort their pain with the gospel. The only thing that is able to sustain their soul through the difficult times. Peter is giving the task of leading the flock to the elders of each individual flock. Notice just what is uh, before our text in chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Peter, knowing what is going to come, because of the name of Christ, they're going to have to suffer and face persecution. Beloved, do not be surprised at the what? At the bump in the road? At the hiccups? At the fiery trial that you will endure? Many historians believe this was Nero's persecution that he unleashed on the Christians and one of the greatest persecutions of Christians in the history of the church. And Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something were strange were happening. Be ready, be prepared. But then verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, Peter and the apostles had the responsibility to shepherd the flock and that responsibility was passed down to the elders who were feeding the flock with the apostles' word. And they were protecting the flock by the apostles' teaching by the gospel. 
And now, as we look to this season in our church where we want to raise up elders alongside of me, me being one of them, how do we find faithful men to shepherd the flock? Well, the answer, as we have seen in the last few weeks, now our focus turns to 1 Peter chapter 5. The shepherd... I want you to know this morning, the chief shepherd is leading his flock to glory by faithful under-shepherds of Jesus Christ. We are all on a journey together, following our chief shepherd by the example, by the leadership of under-shepherds of the flock. And we do this, we follow the uh, chief shepherd through the ministry of the under-shepherds by following humble shepherds. And by following shepherds humbly. You see the character of the shepherds that we should be following. Because to follow the wrong shepherd is a dangerous thing. And then how do we follow the right shepherds faithfully? Verses 1 through 4 we see follow humble shepherds. Christ has not called revolutionaries and visionaries to lead his church. He doesn't want CEOs or business people. He doesn't want self-help gurus or uh, creative geniuses to leave his flock. The church is not to be a democracy, and the church is not to be a dictatorship. The church is called to be led by shepherds. Humble shepherds who are like Jesus, calling the flock to follow and be like Jesus. Shepherds who humbly submit to the chief shepherd in thought, in word, in deed. Shepherds who humbly lay down their own desires and their own glory and their own agendas to devote themselves to the desires and to the glory and to the agenda of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. It's not about the shepherds. It's about the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is who we're following. He is who we're listening for. And it's the under-shepherds who are are helping us. Hey, let's go this way. He's this way. Let's follow Jesus. Ocean Park, following the wrong shepherd brings spiritual malnourishment, exposure to needless temptation, and the threat of eternal peril. Therefore, as we follow humble shepherds, we need to know what to look for in shepherds. We need to know the task of a shepherd. We need to know the heart of the shepherd. And we need to know, frankly, the reward of the shepherd. Notice the the task of the shepherd in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, same word, episkopos, which uh, we've used in other places. Uh, Three words, remember three Greek words describe one office, and he uses this elder. Uh, I exhort the elders among you, the office, not the age, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is, over, uh, that is among you, exercising oversight. Jesus called Peter to tend to the flock and to feed the flock. 
And Peter is calling the elders of these little flocks that are scattered throughout the wilderness and the countryside of all of the world, these little flocks, this, including this little flock that we have here at Ocean Park, that they would have elders who faithfully lead the flock among them to follow Jesus. And Peter's calling the next generation to follow the, 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 the witness of the apostles. Oversight of a shepherd is a vital task. Because if you think about it, you get the sheep, and we've realized and we've learned that sheep aren't the brightest of all the creatures in the animal kingdom. They're not going to survive, you know, the, you know, the, the uh, grudge match or ring match or survivor or, you know, amazing race. Sheep are going to finish last. They're not the brightest uh, creature on the block. And without a shepherd, they quickly scatter. And without a shepherd, they find countless ways to harm themselves and fall victim to countless different predators and dangers. So what happens is the shepherds and the under-shepherds are necessary to protect the flock. And they, the shepherds have the burden to provide for the flock and to protect the flock and to comfort the flock. And when I say it's a burden, it's a weight. I'm responsible for all these sheep, and they're trying to kill themselves in all these different ways. And the shepherds, have, the, the shepherds have to be vigilant and aware and compassionate and know his sheep. The burden of identifying and treating the flock's struggles and pains and weaknesses. The burden of finding green pastures and still waters that nourish the flock. The burden of protecting the flock against themselves and against, against those things that threaten them. Faithful shepherds of Christ's flock are also witnesses. Witnesses of both Christ's suffering and Christ's coming glory. They are called to mirror their gospel with their preaching and teaching and mirror the gospel with their lives, no matter what the cost may be. In 1999 or 97, late 90s, I traveled to Beijing with the Moody basketball team. And um, as we went southern China, we could open, we went to the churches, we were able to tell people about Christ, had played basketball with the teams. When we went to Beijing, the, the atmosphere was very different in the capital, and we had to be very um, careful. We couldn't say, are they a Christian? We had to ask, are they in the family? We couldn't say, let's pray. We had to say, let's talk to the Father. Kind of the code like, like that. And one evening, the missionaries that were hosting us brought us two by two, into a, a small Beijing hotel room. And we had probably 12 to 13 guys on the team. We were huddled around this little tiny bed in a hotel room in Beijing, and this elderly man and his elderly wife sat, Mr. Singh and Mrs. Singh. And they were pastors during the, he was a pastor during the Cultural Revolution when the communist government came through and said anybody, leaders of the church, they were imprisoned because they claimed the name of the gospel. And Mr. Singh spent decades in prison because of his allegiance to Christ, because he was a witness to who Christ was. He was beaten, he was tortured, he was deprived of basic human rights. All along, his wife was told, divorce him and move on with your life and you will be happy. But they both said, Christ is too valuable. 
We know that our chief shepherd is appearing in glory and to be unfaithful today and not to embrace his sufferings today would be unfaithful when that chief shepherd arrives in all his glory for all the world to see. They were willing to suffer now in order to be an example, a witness to their flock of the glory of Christ that was coming. It's the same thing, and as Peter says, you are witnesses of the suffering of Christ, how he took your punishment, and the glory that is coming when he wipes away sin and vanquishes pain and death. He says, in that meantime, shepherd the flock. He says here in verse 1, and then verse 2, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. As the elders embrace the burden of shepherding the flock, they are continually reminded that the flock does not belong to them. Notice what it says. Shepherd what? The flock of God. The sheep do not belong to Him, to the shepherd. The sheep belong to Christ. The flock needs the doctrine of the Word of God preach carefully and clearly so that the flock may grow like Jesus. They don't need the doctrine of amusing stories and entertainment that makes them feel good. They need the words of the shepherd, the good shepherd. The flock, doesn't, needs, the flock needs the word of God sung in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They don't need songs to remind us of the good old days or songs that make us alive and feel good and free. The flock needs the word of God to diagnose and to treat and to maintain godliness at home and work and, and at play. They don't need therapeutic, moralistic deity that says God wants everybody to be happy and God wants to bless anybody. Just try to be good. They need the Word of God to protect their souls. And Peter, just as he was commissioned to tend and to feed the flock, he now tells the elders with the words most likely of Jesus echoing through his mind, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I remember, but I'll tell you this, it's hard. It's hard, the task and the burden of a pastor, of an elder, as they take and carry the burden of providing for the sheep. I remember when I was younger, you can ask my mom and then later my wife, I, haven't, I didn't have a very thick skin. I hated criticism. It would crush me. It ate away at me. And I was a big baby in high school whenever I got it. My, my wife still calls me a big baby at times. Uh, but uh, I can remember, uh, I can remember uh, just criticism crushing me. And I want people to like me. I want, don't want people to say negative things about me. And I knew this and through various professors and pastors recognizing my weakness and knowing my weaknesses. And that was one of them. And I prayed and I said, Lord, give me a confidence in You to please You, not to please and try to make everybody like me because it's really easy for me to do that. And over the my years of ministry, the crystal clear confidence that has grown, and I still want people to like me, and it still hurts when people don't. 
but I have a crystal clear confidence that I am serving Christ, not myself and not my ego and not my desires. And that's because it's easy in pastoral ministry because I am constantly being told two things. Okay, you ready? One, what I need to do. We need uh, different hymns and different songs. We need the good old songs and we need the new ones all at the same time. We need different programs. We need uh, different sermons. We need this. We need that. We need longer and shorter and wider and deeper and all these different things that people want. And I know that if I try to please everyone, I will please no one and I will drive myself insane. But at the end of this, they say this. After they tell me everything, oh, here's the second one. I would never want your job. I was like... But you know how to do my job. You just don't want my job. And ultimately, I will tell people, I hear you. Sometimes I agree. Sometimes I think, man, you are off the charts crazy. But I realize this. When the chief shepherd appears, he's not going to the sheep and saying, how did your pastor do? He goes to the shepherds and said, were you faithful to care and to feed and to tend my sheep the way I told you to? And there's going to be a lot of different ways and a lot of different things we could say, well, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. But when I stand before the Lord, he will ask me, did you pursue my priorities? Did you follow my commands? Did you love my flock? Did you teach my word? And if, I, if shepherds and elders and pastors look for the fickle approval of men, they will never find it. But if they desire the applause of heaven, that is what matters. Now, this is not about me, uh, though it's about pastoral ministry and my title as a pastor. The burden of pastoral ministry is not a burden that can be carried alone. As Gil read to us in Exodus 18, Jethro came to Moses and Moses was trying to care for a million people all by himself and decide all these things. And he said, what you are doing is not good. You need other people to carry the load of the people, of the sheep. Because if you, one man tries to carry that load, it will crush him and destroy him. What you are doing is not good. A healthy plurality of elders is necessary even in a small flock like ours. But the question then becomes, well, who should join the pastor in shepherding the community? And I'm glad you asked. And let's see how we did, Andrew. Uh, okay, good. I know that's coming. Okay. The second thing, and we're not queued up right, but we'll get there eventually. The second thing, not only do we have to understand the task as we seek shepherds, but we also need to know the heart of a shepherd. Because not all, all everybody has it. We need to know what are, who are the people that the Lord has already begun to work in the task of shepherding that though they may not have the office of shepherd, they're already doing the task of shepherding. Notice in verse 2 and 3, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see three adverbial phrases and three contrasts 
that describe the heart of a shepherd who is faithfully overseeing a flock. A shepherd's heart is willing, a shepherd's heart is eager, and a shepherd's heart is compassionate. Well, um, Spencer, will you go check the AC? I am burning up here, and Pam is, is fanning herself, so that's just <laughs> confirming my, my fears. You just crank that AC. And Jenny gave me an amen there, so that's good. Uh, the first thing about a, a shepherd's heart is willingness. Notice that not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Begrudging service never pleases God. God looks at your heart before he looks at your service, at your giving, at your ministry. The motivation of the heart is just as important as the execution of the commands. Think about it. All of you have had experience, not in my home, all of you have experienced surely teenagers who um, mope around, and I was one of them, ruined everything because of the attitude, all right? And that doesn't change when you get older. That mopiness and that attitude continues with you. And then when you address it, it's like, what? I'm doing what you told me to do. And you're like, that clearly is not the heart of the matter that you have. Begrudging shepherds are lazy, are compulsive, and they're complacent. The begrudging shepherds are quick to forsake the commands of the chief shepherd and quick to desert the flock when trouble arises. Begrudging shepherds are the first people to wilt and to quit and to compromise. However, those shepherds who are willing who desire, though the burden is heavy, though it's not easy, and people say, I don't want your job, it's those that say, I will shepherd. I will do the hard work of coming alongside the other shepherds and doing that. They are the ones that stand tall and strong in the face of petty criticism, in seasons of lack, and in difficult outcomes. Why is that? Because their conviction to serve the chief shepherd is strong. Pastoral shepherding is difficult. Ecclesi um, Proverbs, uh, um, I think it's Ecclesiastes 1.18, the increasing of knowledge is the increasing of sorrow. When a shepherd carries the burden of a flock and the difficulties that are shared in secrecy and privacy and stay in privacy, that burden is placed on the, sh the sh shoulder of the shepherd. Those are the kind of things that keep shepherds at night as we worry about the home and the relationships at home and work and school and, and personal struggles that nobody else knows, but the shepherd is working through the sheep and those things weigh the shepherd down. To know the sins of the flock is grief that pierce, pierces the heart of the shepherd. To face unjust and unfair criticism wounds the emotions of the shepherd. Therefore, the, those who go and lead the flock must be men who are willing to bear the burden and embrace the, the, the calling in times of plenty and in times of difficulty because the heart of a shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep as Jesus has done the same. Not only are they willing, but they're eager, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
Ever since the New Testament was minted and written, there have been people, and you read through the book of Acts, people who have, been, um, who have gone into the ministry, into the work of the gospel, and have tried to buy their way into positions of authority because you can make a good living by, do, by peddling the word of God for profits. Oftentimes, when I hear what some pastors do, and I just shake my head, they're going golfing all the time. They, they want to make their own schedule. They work one day a week, so they say, so people think. They will wield significant power and influence and honor and prestige amongst a group of people. To some, pastoral ministry is better than digging ditches. I can be a pastor. That's great. I like, oh, that's great. But as entering the pastor for any other reason than a compulsion to serve the chief shepherd willingly is considered shameful gain. Or some of you who have the, the KJV, uh, entering the ministry for filthy lucre to make a living and make a killing off of people who are vulnerable and ignorant is sinful. Abuses and perversions of the ministry are sadly everywhere. Remember, I don't remember, but reading it in the 80s when Oral Roberts says, I need to raise $8 million or I will die. He didn't raise it, he uh, lived, and then he made more money. The Lord, another one, Copeland, Kenneth Copeland recently, last few years, says, the Lord wants me to have a private jet because I can't get on a plane with a bunch of demons. Thousands of people enter the ministry because they see it as a means to health, wealth, and prosperity. And they create a religious pyramid scheme where the so-called men of God reach a fortune and their blind followers get poorer and poorer the more they're exploited. And the perversion of this is happening is not only in our country, but now we're exporting it to other continents where we're destroying the churches there and the people there because they think they're getting the gospel and that what they're getting is people that are ripping them off in the name of Jesus. When the chief shepherd returns, they will find a deeper level of hell for what they have done to the flock of God. Paul says, so in 2 Corinthians, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul could have gladly made a killing off the gospel, but he made tents to provide for his basic needs so he didn't have to take anything from the churches. Now, deacons don't get any ideas about cutting my pay. Go make some tents. Thank you for courtesy laughs there. Um, those who are faithful as elders and pastors place the flock above their own benefit. He sacrificed his own comfort for the comfort of the flock. He forgoes earthly benefits so that the flock receives heavenly rewards. He gives of himself to the flock so that they may receive from Christ. He empties his personal benefits so the flock may be full of heavenly hope and riches of grace. He lets go of earthly security so the flock rests secure in the promises of God. 
Now, there is the, the other commands that the flock is to take care of those who are devoting themselves to preaching and teaching and not having to need about outside employment, and that's another time for another sermon. But the heart of a, a faithful shepherd, a faithful elder, does not serve the flock for what he can get out of the flock. A faithful elder serves the flock for what he can put into the flock. The heart of a shepherd is willing and eager. Not only that, but the heart of a shepherd is compassionate. Notice the third uh, couplet, the third uh, um, comparison. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flocks. Those who are domineering love power. They, those who are humble love the sheep. Humble shepherds have a heart of compassion for the flock, the very heart that Jesus had for his flock. Jesus, right before he fed the 5,000, it said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. Like what? Like sheep without a shepherd. The heart of a faithful pastor, who, an elder, who is like Jesus, has a heart of compassion that loves Christ and loves the sheep. Ministry is not about making, I'm sorry, ministry is about making much of Christ, not their own reputation. The praise of the ministry is directed towards Christ, not the abilities of the elders and the shepherds. Honor is found in serving Christ, not in performing for the sheep. Being a shepherd is not a way to fuel a person's ego, power, authority, pride, or perversions. Serving as an elder and shepherd is to make much of Christ to the point that the elders fade into the background and the words of John become the words of the elders. He, Christ, must increase and I must decrease. The work of the elders is to make much of Jesus and push him into the foreground and for the elder to fade into the background so that the sheep see Jesus. Wayne Grudenman, in his, one of his, I can't remember what book it is, elders should not govern by use of threats, emotional intimidation, or flaunting of power, nor generally by the political force within the church, because it exists, even in little churches and big churches, but rather by the power of example whenever possible. Some of, you, some of the best elders are the quietest. Men who humbly seek Christ with little fanfare fair or notoriety, but when you are in their presence you, presence, you know they love Jesus and you want to be more like Jesus when you're with them. The heart of a shepherd is willing and eager and compassionate. Um, last Sunday-ish, last week, Houston Chronicle... Uh, wrote a very long essay, and I encourage you to find it, or article, and it was about the abuses, the sexual abuse within the SBC, our denomination. And we uh, often, as Baptists, will say, oh, the, the Catholics, they have a problem because of all of this, and, and, uh, and the abuse is there, and they come up with, oh, there's bad theology or whatever, and then all the other people, and we, we point to all the other people, but over 700 people, uh, victims that we know of, and I'm sure the number is far greater and far more heartbreaking, in the last 25 years have been victim to perverted shepherds who have exploited them and domineered them and hurt them. 
It is reprehensible. And the problem is not education. We can, there, are, there are very clear things that we as pastors and a church can make parameters and protections and background checks and rules and all of this stuff to protect the sheep, and we should. We need to do everything we can that church is a safe place for people to come, for children, for, for uh, people that are they're not exploited. We can make all the rules and all the background checks that we have. But if we ignore the guidelines of scriptures who are called to shepherd the flock of God, these problems will still continue to happen. Because faithful shepherds are willing and they're eager and they're compassionate and they know they're accountable to Jesus. And they'll do whatever they can to love the sheep and to honor, to hear the words of Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servants. We need to be very careful that we put the right people in the positions because to put the wrong person into a place of authority and to be a shepherd in the church will cause many little ones to suffer. Not only do we need to know the shepherd's task, the shepherd's heart, and the shepherd's reward. And when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. There will be a day when the shepherd returns for the flock. When the sheep are separated from the goats, when the wolves are, are revealed and defanged, when the hucksters are stripped and shamed, and the charlatans are exposed as frauds. Christ will call his under-shepherds to him. Those who, uh, who receive their paycheck from the church like myself and those who will rise up alongside me as, as equals who will also shepherd who receive their paychecks from outside the church. He will look for those who were willing and eager and compassionate and he will tell them, well done, my good and faithful servants. Their lives will be evidence that they were motivated not by comfort, not by money, not by pride or not by power, but faithfulness to the chief shepherd. Their ministry will be seen as faithful because the sheep under their care are drinking deep of the eternal sweetness of the glory of Christ because they were faithful to push and to pull and to carry and to lead the sheep towards the glory of our Savior. Faithful shepherds will receive an unfading crown of glory, that same glory of Jesus that all his sheep will be in the presence. That word, unfading, is actually a Greek word. Let me go. I'm a little behind. It's a Greek word for the amaranth flower. And this is the amaranth flower. And I was doing some botanical research this week, and I came across a website that said, the amaranth flower is the deepest red that you can get out of nature. And it's almost unfading because of its richness and the depth of its color. And it's used to dye all kinds of things. And it's also used to weave in the crown of the athletes in the Olympic Games back in the day because they would get the crown for finishing well as, and finishing the prize. And the deep assurance that the faithful shepherds have is that when the sheep the chief shepherd comes that they were faithful to shepherd the flock they were faithful to look for the approval of god not the approval of man they didn't capitulate and they didn't do everything the sheep demanded of them and told them as they bit them they did what was faithful for the good shepherd a few years back 
I came up with this great idea. I was going to make a thank you card file in my drawer, desk drawer. And so every once in a while, uh, don't like flood me with thank you cards, please. Um, I would take a thank you card that I received and I would put it in the drawer. And it was like, when the time comes, when I need a pick-me-up, an encouragement, I'll read those thank you cards. Well, found out <clears throat> over time and in this season of my life that the thank you cards of last season are the biting and the bickering and the disapproval of this season. I went through the thank you cards and I found notes that once people were all, that thought you were the greatest thing since sliced bread are now think you're, you are the end piece of the loaf that gets thrown away. Brothers and sisters, don't feel sorry for me. This, I signed up for this and it's my joy and my, my pleasure to do so. But ultimately there will be a day when I stand before the Lord and, they, and he says, what, how did you protect my sheep? How did you feed my sheep? How did you tend my lambs? And I pray that the men and the elders who stand beside me, who are accountable for the flock of Ocean Park, will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servants. Ocean Park, we need to pray that the Lord would raise up faithful shepherds who are willing, eager, and compassionate towards the flock, who desire to be led to glory of Christ, and remember that the elders will answer to God, not the whims of the sheep. The chief shepherd, brothers and sisters, is leading us to, the, to glory through faithful under-shepherds. And very briefly, the last point in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Um, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As I was going through this, you think there is a way, knowing that the authority of the shepherd has been given to the under-shepherds. But it's an authority that's not derived from the under-shepherds, from their thoughts, from their disciplines, but the, how faithful the under-shepherds are to the Word of God. The under-shepherds, the elders, have no authority apart from the, the words of the chief shepherds and how faithful we are to align ourselves and our teaching to that. We need men who are faithful to the word of God, that it not only in their proclamation of the word, but in their application of the word. Their lives, their families, their homes, their businesses, their play, their private life that they think no one sees, because always the private life makes its way into the public. We see that so much in recent, in the age of the internet. Brothers and sisters, um, elsewhere it says obey your leaders and submit to them as they are faithful to the word of God they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you pastoral care from faithful elders and shepherds is a necessity for the sheep those who don't have pastoral care will wander and get into all kinds of difficulties and struggles. Having elders who are faithful to love you, who care for you, who want your best, is a blessing of the good shepherd. Don't be sheep that bite. Don't be sheep who think that the pastor is uh, your employee. They are servants of Christ, pleasing Christ as they care and they uh, guide the sheep. 
and follow with humility. Remembering there are no perfect shepherds. We all have flaws. We all are sinners uh, saved by grace. But we want men who would rise up, who are above reproach, who are consistent with the gospel in their lives, and that we would, as sheep, follow the shepherd by following the under-shepherds that the Lord has gifted to his flock. Paul, Peter, in these verses, quotes God um, uh, quotes out of Proverbs 3.34, which literally says, God mocks the mockers, but he gives hum- to the humble he gives his favor. We need to be, as a congregation, humble sheep who receive faithful, humble leadership that is consistent with the Word of God, laying aside our own preferences and our own desires and our own wants for the glory of the chief shepherd who is returning for us. Because the chief shepherd is leading his flock to glory by faithful under-shepherds.